Step out into the open air and claim your freedom waiting there. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Coffee in the Crow. I am Abigail Hobbs, and oh my God. <laughs> it has been a morning, let me just say that. Um, it's 11.40, and I barely made it to making this podcast while it is yet still morning. I got up early and went, well, actually not super early, but I went to go running right when I got up. And my youngest daughter was out. She wanted to take our dog for a walk. And so I was like, sure, here, put him on a leash. He usually goes running with me, but she really wanted to take him. So she took him walking. Anyways, long story short, she thought she had discovered a fox den. So she took him to go see it. And he, oh, hello, Zell. Zelenka just came over here and blew her nose on me. Thank you, sweetheart. Now I'm covered in her black dusty snot uh, Zell says to tell everyone hi hello anyways so she thought it was a fox den Deo starts smelling all around he's our dog and uh, he's following a scent trail underneath one of the it's like a area where there's a lot of um, chunks of cement that's been thrown into one pile from an old house that was built here a long time ago anyways um Oh goodness, can you hear Sky? Now Sky's over here saying hi. Hello Sky. All the all the horses were in the shade, but they just went to get some watering. Stop by and say hi. Come to get a few itches. Um so he's smelling underneath these big chunks of cement and and my daughter thought that it was a rabbit or something. He had a rabbit trail that he had followed. And she's like, come on, buddy, let's go. Trying to get him going. He was just stuck. He was like literally sticking his head underneath the rocks. Like as hard as he could. Oh, sorry. Trying to kill a fly off of the sky. Okay. Wow. My coworkers are going to be really distracted today. All right, girls. Um, so she's trying to get him to get away from the rocks. And she, she, this is what she told me. That all of a sudden... Like he's got his head buried under this rock and he starts like barking at it. And he pulls his head, suddenly pulls his head back and is shaking tons of liquid from his face. She said she could just see it flying off of his snout and his eyes like just liquid everywhere. It was a ridiculous damn skunk, people. It was a skunk. He had trapped a skunk under there and... What she thought was a fox den was truly a skunk den. And oh my God. Yeah. So he got sprayed directly in the face and all over the front of his chest. Come on, Sky. She's like, please itch me more. And so that's what I discovered during my run today. And this wouldn't seem like such a traumatic thing except for he's already gotten sprayed by a skunk this summer. So I've already done a huge de-skunking process on him and that was a horrible incident and we couldn't really get the smell off very well and so it stunk up our whole garage which stunk up our house it was just ugh. took weeks to get the smell away so this time I was like are you fucking kidding me so when I got back from my run I my daughter and I sat down and we looked up 
what to use. Last time we used vinegar and water and didn't work as well. So this time we used a baking soda hydrogen peroxide uh, dishwashing dish detergent mixture and spent an hour scrubbing his whole body down and then we had to bathe him again with regular shampoo after that and then tie him up so he could dry and anyways people <laughs> this dog is bathed at least five times a summer he's the cleanest dumbest dog <laughs> in the history I don't know why he didn't learn his lesson the first time but whatever I was so angry I called my husband while I was on the run like oh my god like Everybody's leaving for work, and I get stuck with this shit every time. I hate it. And then I call my partner after that, and she, <laughs> let me just say, I would like to put in a shameless plug for everybody needs to find themselves an awesome partner like I have found. She was so fucking funny. I, you know, I made these cards for my business that, and I told you guys about, you know, I want to be a zebra coach, you know teaching people to be wild and, and free and uh anyway she's like well maybe we can make you a card maybe um you know instead of like because my card and the name of my business is freedom for the taking and it's got a zebra on it jumping she's like you can still keep the colors we'll just turn it into a skunk and I was like oh my god a skunk coach so so she's she's at work today and she sent me this ridiculous awesome a uh, picture on her computer of this business card, this new business card that she made me, says, Fragrance for the Taking, Abigail Hobbs, Skunk Coach. And then at the top, you know, the, the business line is, Here for you when life just stinks. I laughed so hard. <laughs> it was great therapy for my angry soul. So... Anyways, today I will be your skunk coach. Yes, that is what I am. Um, anyway, so the dog is clean. He's tied up. And until I'm sure that his smell is gone, he cannot go in the garage. So here I am, finally here. And I would like to continue um, talking about my life story a little bit. Um, I've been thinking about where I left off last week. We had just gotten to... Um, we walked away. We left our home. People picked us up. And, we, and then I told you that was the beginning of our living with other people. So we moved in with several families. And honestly, I don't even know how many families it was. I know it was two big families. And then there was like, I don't know, three, four, five single people also living there. This is like a um, double ride trailer with some additions on it. So... Um, we crammed in there, and there was not space for us. Um, I remember living in a room with my mom and all of my siblings, one point of it. I think they split us girls up into putting them in the room with some of their girls. It, honestly, it was. we lived there in that situation for three months, and it was a blur. I don't have a ton of memories from that because it was just this really weird blur of my life where nobody talked to me about anything, and nobody explained anything to me. Um, so I was realizing that after we walked away that night and started living with other people in community without my dad, I never got to go back to my house. Uh, my mother and the leader's wife went together and they drove back like the next day or something, um, with black trash bags 
had to break into the house because my dad had changed all the locks overnight. And so they broke into the house and put our stuff in black trash bags and brought it back to us. Like, I never got to go back. And I was just sitting here before I started recording thinking, I don't even know what happened to all of our animals. We had quite a few animals. I don't remember what we had at that time, but it's just weird. I mean, like, because we had sheep, chickens, dogs, cats, horses. My mom ended up selling her horses, um, but she hadn't, I don't believe she sold them all at that point. It's just, I don't even know. Because we didn't get to go back. I never got to go back. I never got to collect my stuff. I never got to say goodbye to this place I had grown up and loved. It it, had, it held some of my best childhood memories. We had an in-ground swimming pool, a beautiful little farm. It was just, it was my happy place. So thinking about the fact that I left it on foot in the middle of the fucking night and never went back just blows my mind. It blows my mind. The next time I saw it was like we drove by, I don't know, whether it was months or years after that, and it somebody else had bought it, and it was way overgrown, and it looked terrible, and I just remember feeling super sad, really, really sad. So, yeah, the truth is nobody talked to me. Nobody sat me down and said, hey, this is what's going on. My mom didn't sit me down and say, look, you know, your dad and I aren't getting along we need some space. Nothing. There was zero conversation. All I know is that we ended up in somebody else's house with many other multiple families smashed into this household. And I suddenly had to just, oops, sorry, I hit the microphone. I suddenly just had to, to regroup, like just change, like whatever, figure it out. And I just remember during those three months, it being really confusing. Um, there was there was some girls there that were really close to my age and I had been friends with them because um, of course you know we had gone to meetings and stuff and so I was familiar with them been friends with them but suddenly now being living with them I remember getting in fights and going and talking to my mom about it and then she would go and talk to the other mom of the and who was the it was the leader's wife you know so super intimidating we were living in their their house and so I remember having to sit down with my mom and then the leader's wife and her two girls who I was having trouble getting along with and trying to work through what we were fighting through. But I I remember always feeling like um, because this was the leader's wife and this was their house and these were her girls, she was very protective of them and they basically just got to do whatever they wanted in, in her eyes and like I had to... It was me. Like, I was always the problem. And I remember my the leader's wife even saying stuff to my mom, criticizing the way that she had raised her kids, which was crazy. Because when I look at it, back at it now, like, we were, like, some of the most obedient kids in the entire universe. And um, I remember being kind of shocked because when we moved in the house with all those kids, they didn't listen real well and they talked back and they were really rude and they were always fighting. And so it's just weird to think back now, like somehow we were still the ones that were the trouble. And yeah, I remember feeling ganged up on every time. Like I had no confidence that sitting down with the other girl's mom and my mom, like that we'd work it out. I just felt ganged up on. And I remember my mom didn't stand up for me. 
she was just quiet and which was weird for my mom you know because she was strong enough to walk away from my dad in the middle of the night with all the kids but yet it was like this submission thing instantly that she went into it was weird to see my mom like that where she didn't fight for me she didn't stand up for me not that she ever did before but I thought I would be more important to my mom but who knows all the garbage that they were telling her and all the, I'm sure they were talking to her a lot about submission and whatever, whatever worked for them. But, uh, yeah, it's just crazy. So three months of that, and I really, really missed my dad. I remember I cried a lot. I spent a lot of time off by myself just crying. Because I loved my dad. I was just his buddy. We did everything together, and... Now suddenly he was out of my life. And I just spent so much time crying and confused and trying to do the best I could to survive living with all these families and feeling ganged up on all the time that I just, I tried to stay out of trouble and I just tried to stay good and don't bother any, you know, not bother anybody. And I just, my mom was like in some different space in her brain. It was just weird. Like she just kind of, I don't know. It was like it was like she quit parenting. Um, I'm sure she's going through all her own trauma at that time, and uh, I can't even imagine bringing that many kids to live with all these other families suddenly and being smashed into that environment. What that was like for her. But um, I, at one point, we went to go visit my grandma, who is my mom's mom. And I was excited about that because it was getting out of the house. It was getting away from all the families, like getting a break to go do something fun. I was really excited. And so my mom loaded us all up in the van. We drove, I don't know, it was probably like 45 minutes at least or an hour to my grandma's. And we turned onto her street where my grandma's house was. And all of a sudden we looked up ahead of us. We could see my grandma's house. She lived in this really old, small neighborhood. And my dad is out push mowing my grandma's front yard. And my, like, my mom whipped that van around so fast that we barely got to see. Like, what? And my mom's like, no, we're not going. And I remember just like, wait, wait, what? And wanting to see my dad so bad. And I barely saw a glimpse of him. But I don't even know if he saw us. My mom turned that van around so fast. And suddenly she's like, we are not going. We cannot see him. He cannot see us. We're not going there. And we just drove home. And I, I remember crying and crying because I wanted to see my grandma. I wanted to go do something fun that felt kind of normal. And But I also remember like seeing the side of my dad. I was like so excited and missed him so bad. I wanted to see him so bad. But then I suddenly felt this other emotion was instant fear. I was afraid to see my dad. I was terrified. And then my mom whipped the van around so fast I could feel that she was terrified. So it was like I could feel her fear and that made mine extra big. And so then I was like, oh my God, my dad is this horrible, scary person. The last you know incident I had with him was totally scary to me. So it was just bizarre because I, I felt like I had these opposing massively opposing feelings going on inside my body at the same time at 12 years old I wanted to see my dad so bad I missed him so bad but then he was a scary man we weren't allowed to be around him so we never got to go see my grandma and I cried my eyes out I didn't understand it one night 
this is getting close to the end of the three months, um, they were going to the communities. Everyone was going to the community center for, um, you know, another church meeting. And one of the girls that was my age in one of the families, um, she was sick. She had like the stomach bug. And I don't even remember how it happened, but it was decided that I would stay home with her. And maybe I volunteered. Who knows? Um, all I know is that I was supposed to stay home with her um, so that she wouldn't be home by herself and that everybody else was going to go to the meeting. So I'm thinking back to it. I'm like, why didn't one of her parents stay home with her? That's weird. Okay, whatever. Like, we were 12, and we lived way back in the boonies in this trailer in the middle of nowhere off this, like, long, 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 I don't know, two, three-mile dirt road. So it's just weird to leave these 12-year-olds at home. Whatever. So they went to the meeting. I stayed home with my friend, and when they came back from the meeting, I heard this story. Everyone was like, oh, my gosh, you won't believe what happened. And I was like, what? And they said... At the meeting, my dad had showed up, and on his motorcycle, he came into the community center. Nobody knew he was coming. He didn't tell anybody, um, but he showed up in a sackcloth, and wearing a sackcloth that he had made, and on the front of it, he had, I am, and then he wrote all the things that selfish and bad and wicked and sinful and all the things that he was all the bad things he was and on the back of it he had written I am you know omega alpha faithful trustworthy whatever all the things that God is and he came into the middle of the because we would meet the community center we'd always like meet in a circle so that everyone was all facing each other in a circle he came into the middle of the circle and he had a pan of ashes and he stood in the pan of ashes and then took some in his hands and dumped them on his head and said he was coming to repent and that he wanted to repent to my mom and he was crying and he went over and knelt down before her got on his knees and was crying and asking her forgiveness and the leaders um, were kind of scared because he was acting really scary and they weren't sure what he was going to do and so they escorted him or so this is the story they tell me anyways okay I wasn't there they escorted him outside and talked to him and my mom was sitting there and she felt really scared and so the leaders took him outside and talked with them and said you know you need to ask before you come in and do something like that and um my little my younger siblings um I I I know that one of them was um I believe two years old and she was crying because it scared her really really bad to see her dad like that um so it really messed with my siblings that were there and especially the, my younger siblings and anyways apparently what what happened after that what transpired from that whole thing was that my dad started meeting with the leaders every week and you know telling them how much he wanted to change and how sorry he was and so then after that I don't even remember how long that went on maybe a few months they started having letting my mom meet with him once a week my mom started meeting with him and long story short they decided to remarry come back together and remarry and have another wedding but like you know the leader said this is your first real wedding you know he's repented and he's a true Christian now my dad was like I've just pretended to be a Christian now I'm a true Christian and so everyone's like hooray and I was just like happy that my 
parents were going to get back together, but I still felt so, so confused and scared to see my dad. Like I missed him, but I still felt really scared of him. And now him and my mom are getting married and my dad never said it. I don't know if he talked to my older siblings or not, but nobody, he never sat me down and told me what was going on. Next thing I know is that like the women of the, you know, church are making dresses for our wedding. And so each of us girls had new dresses made. And I remember being like, well, this is, this, this is kind of fun, I guess, you know, like we're getting new dresses and, and I, I, I guess this is a good thing, but I also felt really confused and scared. And during this time, okay, from the time of, of nine to, to 12, um, all, another change that was happening, a big change that was happening within this church was uh, the women were being taught about being modest. Modesty was a big thing. So what happened is eventually, you know, like I wasn't allowed to wear shorts. Shorts were bad. I had to changed to culottes all the women and girls had to wear culottes which are like big baggy shorts and then we had to wear skirts and then we had to wear dresses and we so what happens we all end up making all our own clothes we all had to wear homemade clothes and dresses and they had to be really loose and baggy and um then of course the head coverings came in we had to wear head coverings because you know we wanted to be respectful and follow the bible and the bible says women should cover their heads and submit and so I remember at the wedding, you know, all of us girls were wearing dresses and head coverings by the time, but I hated that. I abhorred it. I remember crying for hours as a little girl in a tree, would climb a tree and just cry because I loved dressing like a tomboy. That was my jam. I love dressing like a boy. I love wearing shorts and pants and being rough and, you know, working outside and doing all the things and like that was my jam and now it got it was all taken away from me I was forced to wear culottes and then forced to wear dresses and and then I couldn't even wear culottes anymore I was dresses and and all of it was homemade then we had to wear head coverings and I hated even brushing my hair now I have to learn how to wear head coverings that fall off and are annoying and they're hot and we lived in Florida and just anyways I really struggled with that whole transition. But, you know, they had a lot of teachings that they pounded into us about modesty and submission and being respectful and protecting all of the men's eyes. And it was our job and our duty to protect the men's eyes. So whatever. Um, My parents remarried, had a, you know, another wedding ceremony within our church. And then they went on a, they went on a, a little mini honeymoon and my little my youngest brother was still really young at that time like a couple months old so they took him with them but all I know is like so after that happened we bought a house in Geneva Florida we had lived in Sanford we ended up buying a house in Geneva Florida because we wanted to be near everybody else we didn't want to have that long drive and my dad decided I'm committed to this thing and we're going to be together and so we bought this house in town and had a small backyard and that was it it was across from a post office and I liked the house the house was fine I just was so so sad because I was a country girl I wanted to be on a farm 
I wanted to have lots of room to run around. And so I did my best. I just took my ropes and we, at least we had some trees and I still climbed trees and made forts in the trees and, and, and did my best to survive. But we moved into a house in Geneva, Florida and instantly started letting families move into our house with us. So we didn't even get this house to ourselves. We had families and over a course of a year, several different families, I don't even remember how many, lived with us in our house. And and these families had some traumatic issues going on. I'll say that in the least. Um, so it wasn't like, yay, this is so fun. It was, it was very hard. It was very difficult. I remember my mom was always having super serious conversations with the adults and like her and the other women would like get in fights and always have to be working through things and we had to babysit all the little kids and then we had to you know figure out how to get along with all these other kids and be told what to do by all these other adults that we didn't even know really until they moved into our house with us it's just crazy but of course you know as a kid you just do you do what you have to do so um we did that for a year and I'll, I think I'm going to pause there and pick up next week because next week, uh, not next week, good grief. Um, next, The next part of my life was when we moved up to Tennessee. So that's like a whole new, uh, this is a good place to, to take a break. It's a whole new section that we moved away from that house and uh, relocated in Tennessee. So, um, yeah, I'll just, I'll end with that and say that I remember being happy that my parents were back together, but I also remember being really, still really confused and sad for the loss of where we lived and thrown into this entirely new environment of now our it's our house and we're taking care of all of these families and all these people and um, I just I still didn't understand it it felt like life was moving too fast my parents kept making all these decisions and changing 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 and our whole life was changing now we had to wear these certain clothes and be this certain way and all I all I did during that time is feel like I remember becoming more and more sensitive and more and more scared and 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 all of you know we'd have these, we call them gatherings because, you know, we were so much better than all the other churches that we didn't call it church. We said, we are the church and we have gatherings. We don't have services, you know, so it was all of these like words, they changed even our vocabulary so that we believed we were better than everybody else. We were the elite chosen people. And I remember that my group, my age group was taught by the leader of the entire thing that started the whole movement he took up my age group which was the oldest age group at that time when all the families started living together and he told all the parents I'm gonna teach them these are gonna be my kids and they're gonna be called the chosen and the parents all the parents happily handed us over to him they trusted him um, they must have thought he could do a way better job because it bas we they basically gave us to him for him to parent us and he did he became like my mom and my dad and he would meet with us every week several times a week and teach us how to pray and and talk with us about all the things we're supposed to learn and, and change our vocabulary and you know he's told us he made his business cards with the chosen put on them and said 
you know, you now belong. This is the name of your group. And when you go places, you can hand these cards out and tell them you are the chosen and, you know, encourage them to come and see and to be a part of this amazing, you know, opportunity. And of course, we were told we are the body of Christ. So we can tell people we are the body. And so he gave us this sense of belonging and the sense of, um, you know, this something to come into, but it was very well uh, done because he also stripped us of everything. And completely, he said, you know, I'm going to teach you about the Bible. You know, everything you've learned up until now, you have to throw away. I am going to be your teacher. And uh, just to tell you what kind of person this is, he also at one point had everybody burn their Bibles and throw them away because he said, forget everything you've learned in the Bible. I am going to teach you about God. And all the adults listened to him. So whacked out, huh? It's really whacked out. But um, I guess at that point they were already brainwashed enough to not see it. So anyways, um, <clears throat> yeah, so I, I don't know. I got off sidetrack. Just there's so many crazy stories, people. And, and I talk about it now. I'm like, that is so messed up. But at the time I couldn't see it. I was, I was too young. I was too young and I just trusted. Oh, I was going to tell you was that we'd have these gatherings every week and I would, I remember repenting every single gathering about something. I always felt like I was doing bad things and I wasn't a good enough person. I just wanted to be acceptable. I wanted to be loved and valued by God and I didn't feel like I was good enough ever. And so like literally I remember crying and repenting every week about stupid things like I use my sister's hairbrush without asking them. And this became such a habit that the leader, Noah, would say at the end of every gathering, well, Abby, do you have anything you want to share? Because he knew I would. And then I'd start crying and repent for whatever it was. And I look back and I think about that young girl that felt like she was so bad all the time. And it makes me so sad because I would hate for my kids to feel that bad about themselves. I would never, ever want them to feel that they weren't good enough and that they had to repent every day all the time for stupid things, like ridiculous, or that they had to repent for anything. Like, I just, I hate that. And I, you know, I, I hate that I spent so much of my childhood in fear and feeling like I was such a bad person when I wasn't a bad person. <sighs> Anyways. All right. Before I sign off, I was listening to, um, I told you guys, this audiobook. It is so long and it's so good and so deep, um, but it is very difficult. It's also hard to listen to because the story is really hard about, um, remember the one I told you, The Choice by Dr. Edith um, Eager? <sighs> who she spent the year in the concentration camp. Anyways, uh, I have to listen to her story in small chunks at a time because it's really hard, but it's really good. But she was talking this morning. I was listening on my run. Uh, one of the things she said is that she learned because she became a psychologist over the years after she got out. Um, but it took her a long time to even go back to school and start learning to heal and she wanted to help other people heal. And it was in her journey to help others heal that she 
was able to start healing herself and realize things about herself. But something she said this morning really stuck out to me. She said she was learning to reframe. Uh, to, I'll just tell you in, in, in her words. Learning to reframe my trauma. To see in my painful past. Oh, no. To, oh, I'm sorry. All right. I'm messing it up. I wrote it out here. Um, my writing's messing me up. Let me try again. Try. Take two. Learning to reframe my trauma. To see my in my painful past evidence of my strength and gifts and opportunities for growth rather than confirmation of my weakness or damage. That really, really stuck out to me because, you know, I read something that, you know, you hear all the time, for one, when you go through hard things, people are like, everything happens for a reason. And I just want to punch all the people that say that, but I can't because I'd be punching a lot of people. (laughs) For one, I don't have time to punch that many people. For two, I probably shouldn't be punching people. Um, But I saw something uh, by one one of my friends that lives in Wyoming. She's a therapist. She had posted a a meme on Facebook, and it had that saying, you know, everything happens for a reason, but it was crossed out, and underneath it, it said um, something to the effect of um, some things in life happen that are just shit, and they should have never happened. And that's it, like period, end of story. And I really appreciated that because I hate when people say, well, it's because of your past that it's who you are, or, you know... Everything happens for a reason. And so that was to teach you this. No, I think really terrible things happen. And she was able to think about her past and not say, well, because of my past, I'm strong. But she said it in the words of, to see my painful past, to see in my painful past, evidence of my strength and gifts and opportunities for growth, rather than confirmation of my weakness or damage. So rather than feeling like your past is just showing you all of these weaknesses and the damage that's been done to you and now you're just damaged, she's able to look back and see evidence of her strengths. I love that. And opportunities for growth in her gifts. I think it's so powerful. You know, I want to learn to reframe my trauma. Not to look at it and say, I'm grateful for my trauma. I'm so glad that happened. It made me who I am. No, I will never say that. But I do want to be able to say, I am learning to reframe my trauma and to be able to see in it. And, you know, even talking about that story, even about talking about my stories of my past and the things that I went through make me realize, oh my God, that was hell. That was horrible. That was absolutely not okay. And that was some really shitty stuff to live through. But I'm also able to be like, oh my God, I'm amazed. I'm amazed that I coped with that as well as I did. And I can, I can even just be grateful for that. Look back on that little girl and be like, you were amazing. Like, you survived some really shitty things. You were amazing and you're still amazing and you're you're still learning and healing and growing and moving forward. So I'm going to end with that. I hope that encourages everybody out there. You do not have to be grateful for your trauma and your things that happen to you that are terrible. No way. 
but I do think that we can heal from it and we can reframe it and we can be stronger. I love all of you. I will see you next week. If I wrote it in a song, would you believe it more? If I busted at the lock, would you open the door? If I dare to speak my truth, would you still value me? If I reach my hand to you, would you reach it back to me? Darling, there's no reason why you should have to hide. Step out into the open air and claim your freedom waiting there.